Greetings and welcome. My name is James White, and I would like to invite you to turn with me in God's holy word in the Bible to John chapter 8, the Gospel of John chapter 8. I'd like to talk to you today about true and false faith, and about an incident in Jesus' life that illustrates that many people can say that they believe in Jesus, but when Jesus then reveals the fullness of who he really is to them, they turn away and demonstrate that they were never truly disciples of his in the first place. When we look at John chapter 8, we recognize that there has been a growing controversy developing between Jesus and the Jewish leaders. It's been getting uh, more and more uh, angry with each passing encounter through the gospel of John. And here in John chapter 8, it's going to end with a very strong encounter that is going to result in people picking up stones to stone Jesus for the sin of blasphemy. That is how strident the controversy is going to become. But how did this take place? How did it come to a point of people picking up stones to stone the very Son of God Himself, who is only testifying that He was the way, the truth, and the life? Well, when we go back earlier in the chapter, in John chapter 8, we hear a dialogue taking place between Jesus and the Jews. And Jesus has been directing people to Himself unlike what you hear in many countries today where Jesus is merely a prophet and he's always pointing away from himself, the reason that Jesus offended many in the Gospel of John is because he would not allow people to simply say that he was a great teacher. He would not allow people to simply believe that, well, he said some nice things and maybe it would be nice to believe a few of these things, but I can pick and choose what I'm going to believe about Jesus. Jesus did not allow that to happen. He himself confronted those individuals with the truth that he is, for example, the bread of heaven. If you want to have your spiritual desires satisfied, only he is going to be able to do so. There is no one else who's going to be able to meet those needs. And many people found this very, very offensive. And so here in John chapter 8, Jesus has been describing himself as the light of the world. And saying that if you want to have light by which to walk, if you want to have guidance in this world, he is the light of the world. He's not just one of the lights of the world. He is the light of the world. And the Jews recognize that this is a tremendously strong claim. No prophet had ever said this. Isaiah had never said, I am the light of the world. Moses had never directed people to himself. These are strong words. Would he back them up? Would he do another miracle, for example, that we might be able to see? There was a crowd who were following Jesus, and they were interested in what he was saying, but the Bible tells us they really didn't have a full understanding of what it meant to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And so as we look at John chapter 8, we see him saying to the Jews that he is the I am. Look at verse 24 especially. Therefore, he said to them, you will die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. I want you to hear those words from the Lord Jesus. This is the first time that Jesus uses this phrase, I am, ego I me, in the original language of the New Testament. He's going to use it again at the end of the chapter, and the Jews are going to understand that he is claiming deity by those words they're going to pick up stones to stone him. In John chapter 18, he uses those words again when the soldiers are coming to arrest him. 
And when Jesus says, I am, the soldiers fall back upon the ground. This phrase, I am, comes from the Old Testament. In the book of Isaiah, Jehovah revealed himself to his people. And especially in context where he was prophesying the future, he revealed himself as the I am. And Jesus even uses that very language of himself in John 13, 19. These words of Jesus demonstrate that he would not allow people to reduce him to the level of a mere prophet. You see, these people would have liked Jesus to be just a prophet sent from God. They would like him to have stayed within the mold of, of a Moses or an Isaiah. He would have made a great military leader. They might have even been willing to accept him as as a king, or even as Messiah, but Jesus would not allow them to reduce him down to the categories that they felt comfortable with. And there are many today who want to reduce Jesus down to categories that they're comfortable with as well. Sometimes people reduce Jesus down to these categories for religious reasons because their traditions tell them that Jesus was not truly God. But Jesus said to the Jews, unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. He is the only means by which forgiveness of sins can be obtained. He is the one who has borne the wrath of God in his own body upon the tree. And so to reject him for who he is, is to place yourself in a position of dying in your sins you die in your sins, then you have to answer for your sins. And there is only one penalty for sin. It's death. It's separation from God. And so to these Jews who certainly believed Jesus was a man, they were standing very close to him and they might've been willing to accept him as a, as a prophet. They called him a teacher. They recognized he was not like anyone else in Israel on that day. They were willing to accept certain things about Jesus. But Jesus would not allow them to determine the grounds upon which they would be his followers. And he said to them, unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. There's something about who Jesus is that is non-negotiable. From his own perspective, he will not have as a follower and he will not be savior to someone who is unwilling to accept him for who he is. Now, in this text, the individuals to whom he's speaking were religious people and they believed in prophets. They believed in people who worked miracles And they would have allowed Jesus to be many of those things. But that was not enough. That was insufficient. If Jesus had just wanted some surface level religious followers, he would not have spoken the way he speaks in this text. He would not have put these people off. But that's not who Jesus is looking for. And so I want to ask you today, do you claim to believe in Jesus? Maybe you come from the Islamic faith and you say, well, we are taught to believe in Jesus. Isa is right there in the Quran and and we see him speaking. We've been taught to believe in Jesus. But do you believe in the Jesus of history or a much edited down version of Jesus that came 600 years after these words were originally spoken? Would Jesus have allowed you 
to stand before him and reject him as the I am? Not according to this text. But you may be a person who calls yourself a Christian. And yet you have to admit that you're not really certain that you believe everything the Bible teaches about Jesus. And you, I, I like him as a good teacher, but you know, all this stuff about being God and, and the cross and the resurrection seems a bit much to me. Would Jesus, if you had been standing there that day, have said to you, unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins? Think about that. Because you see, even after this conflict, look at what happens at the end of the conversation, verses 29 and 30. There were some who were standing about, and when they heard Jesus say these things, talking about being the light of the world, it says that they believed in him. But it's interesting to note that the, the form of the word in the original language is not the normal form John uses for people who really believe in Jesus. When that kind of faith is discussed in the Gospel of John, a form of the original language is used. It talks about an ongoing faith, not just a point action, not just one time, but it's an ongoing faith. They are believing. These people are not believing. They hear good preaching, and they have a surface-level faith. And it says they believe in him. And notice what happens. Jesus turns to those who claim to be his followers, who claim to believe in Jesus and hear his words to them. He says, if you remain or abide in my word, then you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will free you. It will set you free. There's a description of a person who receives eternal life from Jesus Christ. There's the person who receives forgiveness of sins. He's a person, she's a person who abides in his word, remains in his word, isn't just excited for a few minutes. Anybody can get excited religiously for a few minutes. But this is someone who abides in his word and becomes his disciple, his learner, his follower, and they thereby are set free. But you see what happens when Jesus talks about being set free? These would-be followers are deeply offended. They're deeply offended. They answer him and say, we're, we're the seed of Abraham. We've never been enslaved to anyone. One of the best ways you can find out whether your heart has truly been changed by the grace of God and whether you are truly believing in Jesus Christ, how do you respond to Jesus' claim to be your sole source of salvation? How do you respond to the claim that you need to be set free? That's a good question. You see, if you've just made Jesus sort of a, an add-on to your self-help methodologies, maybe a, a new diet or a new way of dressing, Jesus is, it's fashionable to say you believe in Jesus, and so I've sort of added Jesus. If that's what you've done, and you hear Jesus saying, if you continue my words, then you're my disciples indeed, you shall know the truth, and the truth will free you, it will set you free, are you offended 
when Jesus says you're a slave? Are you offended when Jesus says you're in bondage? They were. And Jesus explained the very nature of the bondage in the next few verses. He said, those who commit sin are the slaves of sin. Do you recognize sin in your own life or do you make excuses for it? Do you recognize that that you know what God would have you to do? You know what is right and wrong in God's sight and you don't do it? And you feel that pang of conscience, but you just bury it and say, well, it's, it's no big deal. Do you recognize the truth of what Jesus said, that he who commits sin is the slave of sin and only the Son can free you from that kind of slavery? Yes, Jesus was claiming only he can free you from slavery to sin. No one else can. You cannot look to anyone else who has that power, that capacity to free you from that bondage to constant rebellion and sin before God. These people would have none of that. They did not see their need, just as the men back in John chapter 6 had come across the lake looking for Jesus because they had seen the breaking of the bread. He had fed 5,000 people with just a few loaves and fishes. They came looking for some, some more food, and Jesus tried to turn their attention to their real need, their spiritual need, that he's the bread of life, that the one coming to him will never hunger, the one believing in him will never thirst. They couldn't get the message because, you see, they didn't know their need. Physically, when we are hungry, we know our need. Our body has ways of telling us, but so often those who are in slavery to sin are so used to that pattern of sin and rebellion that even the natural mechanisms God has given us that cause our conscience to cry out, we've found ways of not listening any longer. So those men, even though the Bible says they were seeking Jesus in John 6, they weren't actually seeking Jesus. They were seeking what Jesus could give them. And by the end of John chapter 6, Jesus started with 5,000 excited followers. By the end of John chapter 6, he has 12 confused followers. Why? Because Jesus is not looking for followers who do not realize who he is. Jesus is not looking for followers just for the sake of numbers. The true disciple abides in his word. The true disciple finds Jesus to be his only source of spiritual light, his only source of spiritual sustenance. He is the bread of life. He is the living water. And if for, G for you, Jesus is just a take-it-or-leave-it proposition, some days I like him, some days I don't, you're going to be one of those at the end of John chapter 6 who's walking away going, those are hard things to understand. I'm not going to follow this man anymore. The amazing thing is in John chapter 8, we see these people who had believed, a surface-level belief in Jesus. But then when he points out their slavery to sin, when he points out their need of a Savior, their need of being freed from that slavery, and that he is the only one who can do so, what happens? Very quickly, the rhetoric escalates. They start saying he's demonized. 
they demonstrate the hatred within their hearts, the hatred within the hearts of men who had just a few moments earlier said, I, I, I believe in this man. And as soon as he show, shown that light upon their slavery to sin and their need to be focused solely upon him, to believe in him alone and all that he's revealed about himself, what happens at the end of the chapter? Take a look at it. The rhetoric gets stronger and stronger. And Jesus, again, knowing that this is going to offend these people, says to them that Abraham rejoiced in seeing his day. Abraham, their father, rejoiced to see his day. And they, they go, wait a minute, you're not yet even 50 years old, and you've seen Abraham? And look at Jesus' response in verse 58. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham came into existence, I am. Before Abraham was born, before Abraham took his first breath, I already existed. I am. The Jews understood what that word meant. And so what comes after this? They pick up stones to stone him. Now, there are only a certain number of crimes for which the, the Jews had the punishment of stoning. Adultery, for example, but obviously that's not what's going on here. What was the crime that they see? What had Jesus done? Very clearly, they are accusing him of blasphemy. In fact, in John chapter 10, which is not very far removed from John chapter 8, the flow goes right to that. In John chapter 10, they're going to say, you being a man, make yourself out to be God, when once again they pick up stones that they might cast at him. And again, it's in the context of Jesus saying that he is the sole means of salvation, that one's salvation is dependent upon one's relationship to him. And they recognize that the only person who could utter these kinds of words is a divine person. And when Jesus says to the Jews in John 8, before Abraham was, before the one you claim as your father even took his first breath upon this earth, I am, there was only one being who could make that kind of claim, and that was Yahweh himself, the very creator God. And they picked up stones to stone him because they did not believe that Yahweh had entered into human flesh. Even though the prophets of old had said, a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, what will be his name? Emmanuel, God with us. The prophets had said it, but they did not believe. And so they picked up stones to stone the sinless son of God. What about you today? Let me speak to those who might be Muslims in our listening audience today. If you say you believe in Jesus, isn't your belief very much the same as that of these people in John chapter 8? There was only so much about Jesus they were willing to believe. And when Jesus presented his deity, when Jesus presented his eternality, when Jesus presented the centrality of himself, as the sole means of salvation, these people said, I will not believe 
and they rejected him. My friends, to believe in the Jesus of the Quran is not to believe in the Jesus who walks the pages of the New Testament and who walked in Galilee and Jerusalem. That is a Jesus who is so much less than the Jesus of the New Testament, and he does not allow that kind of reduction of his claims. He says to those who would reject him on that basis, unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. But you see, the message for you is, you don't have to die in your sins. You do not have to die wondering whether Allah will be merciful to you. You do not have to die wondering whether mercy is going to be extended to you or whether it's going to be withheld. You know that you don't really have any way of knowing in the Islamic system whether you have peace with God. But you see, the scriptures teach us that the Christian can know he has peace with God, not because of anything I've done, but because of the perfection of the work of Jesus Christ in my place. And so you see, you do not have to die in your sins because you can believe that Jesus is the I am. That's not committing shirk. We are not associating anyone with God. That is the message for our Muslim viewers today. But what if you are not a Muslim? You might even call yourself a Christian. Let me ask you honestly. Does Jesus, his will, his law, have any part in your thinking in your daily life? When you make decisions about family, home, employment, your everyday living, what you're going to do with your life, is Jesus even a slight consideration? Do you find your all in all in him? Or if you're going to be honest, is Jesus just sort of an add-on? I might talk about him a little bit around Christmas and Easter. Maybe when someone in the family dies, we might make some reference to Jesus but in my everyday life, Jesus doesn't mean anything. I live for myself. And when you really examine your heart, isn't it your attitude that I don't really think I need to believe all that stuff about Jesus? I, I can sort of, I can make a Jesus that fits me, sort of edit him down. The problem is that's what these people in John 8 were doing. They wanted a Messiah that fit their perspectives, prophets that would fit their ideas, would be comfortable to them. But Jesus wouldn't allow that. Only the real Jesus can save. An edited version of Jesus simply doesn't exist. And so I want to ask everyone who hears my words this day, are you playing games, religious games with this Jesus? Or do you hear what he said in John chapter 8? And when he says, if you continue my words, then you're to my disciples. You'll know the truth. Truth sets you free. Do those words make you go, oh, thank you. Because I needed to be set free. And I know you're the only, we only means by which I have been set free. 
and I remain completely dependent upon you. That's the heart cry of the Christian's heart. I pray it's your cry this day as well.